0: Well, good morning, church. Good morning. As you are maybe giving your little cups to the elders, they're going to come by with a little trash can. If you got the cups, you can give it to them. And while you're doing that, I'll just make a couple announcements. First of all, uh, a couple praises. One, uh, you were praying for Travis Walter for his dad and stepmom. Uh, they've been released out of the hospital. They're home. They are still healing up, so continue to pray for them. That prayer request just went out yesterday. Um, so we're thankful for that good news, but continue to pray for them, please uh, I don't know if you notice outside when you pull it in The landscape looks pretty incredible So a big shout of thanks to Roger and Linda Moden And and the work they did in pulling the weeds And they've got some green thumbs and green fingers and Well, actually green thumbs and brown fingers They're doing a lot of dirt digging out there And it looks really beautiful, really does um, I want to give a shout out to the Westmen Make sure you're there tonight, come eat some fish uh, and then uh, the softball players, all you who are playing church coed softball on Friday night, I know you had a doubleheader. We stopped by after we, we had a wedding rehearsal and stopped stopped out to watch you play, and, and uh, I was just sitting there going, oh, I, I wish I was out there. And then I'm going, <laughs> but I'm glad I'm not, because I know there are some sore muscles in here this morning, maybe a few strains, I don't know, but you look like you had a lot of fun, and I'm so glad you were able to get out there and... Uh, a lot of not a, uh, people in our church, sometimes you wonder, how do we connect? How do you get to know people? Things like that. Whether it's church, softball, west, east, whatever it may be, it's a great way to connect with people and get to know each other. Go ahead and grab your Bibles. Turn them to First Samuel chapter 1. We're going to continue our adventures in the Bible. We're going to take a detour in June um, as we dig into a book in the New Testament But I love going through the Old Testament, those old familiar stories you remember as little kids and giving you maybe a little bit more background or just re-familiarizing yourself. And and quite honestly, there's a lot of people these days have never heard some of these stories. And so they're like, I never knew that. It's there. Let me ask you this. What's the best way to get from point A to point B? If I were to give you instructions, to say, to go to my mom's house, do you know how to get there without using your phone app? without using Siri or any other GPS device that you have? Could you just just get there if I said, well, first of all, you're going to turn out of the church, you're going to turn right, and then you're going to go left, and you're going to go left for a long time, and then you're going to right, left, left, right, and then when you get to the town, go left, right, and then, well, no, actually, yeah, go left, and then stop. Some you are like, no, right? What would be easier? It would be easier if what? If I was like, hey, you know what? Why don't you just ride with me? That's probably the easiest way to help you get from point A to point B. Not too long ago I went into the store and I was looking for some uh, some parts and and some hardware and and I was thinking, oh boy, this is a big place. There's a lot of aisles, a lot of tools, a lot of parts. Which way do I go? Excuse me, sir. Can you help me find so I I actually asked for directions. And they're like, "Yeah." And I was waiting for the go to aisle 23, take two turns and bottom shelf. He's like, "Just follow me." I was like, Really? You're going to drop what you're doing and you're just going to take me there. And he he did. So he walked me to the aisle, to the part I needed. Thank you very much. That was simple, wasn't it? See, to get from point A to point B, probably the easiest thing to do is just have somebody grab your hand and walk you there, right? And I was thinking about that. Wouldn't it be nice if God did the same thing with us? How many times have we had questions like, God, what am I supposed to do? What choice am I supposed to make? where am i supposed to go with my life in this decision right wouldn't it be nice if god's like hey come here let me just let me just show you the way grab my hand come on come on and then he just walked us right in the direction we need to go wouldn't that be so much easier wish it was that way all the time but it's not is it instead what we find is in the old testament god said i'm going to give you a bunch of directions i want you to follow my directions and we discover that people listened and some people did not listen. Some people were successful because they listened, some people failed because they did not listen. They got lost, made bad choices, right? And then we get to the New Testament, and God's like, you know what? You guys obviously aren't listening to my prophets, you aren't listening to the, the scriptures that I've given you. So I'm just gonna come down and I'm gonna show you. So God comes in the flesh, Jesus Christ, and he walks among mankind. He said, just follow me, I'll show you how to live. And he did. So for 33 years, he was on this planet. But then he was crucified, buried, rose again. And then he ascended into heaven. And he said, listen, I'm going to go prepare a place for all of you. It's going to be beautiful. But I'm not leaving you alone. I know you're still wanting to know which way to go and what directions and, and how to make choices. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you my spoken word in written form. And I'm going to give you my spirit. You're not alone. You'll have help in making every decision and making every choice that you need to make. That's sort of how it goes, right? And yet, for some of us, we're still sort of dumbfounded on, like, I'm still not quite sure what I should be doing or what choice I should make, or how do I listen to God? Somebody asked me this question a few weeks ago, and it was a really good question. And they said, what does it mean to place your faith in God and surrender your life to Him? If I ask five people, I'm going to get five different answers. So what does it really mean to follow Jesus? What does it really mean to surrender my life to God? What does it really mean to go in the direction He wants me to go and to make the choices He wants me to make? What does that really mean? Well, in the Old Testament, there's a story about a woman who not only showed her faith, but we see it put into action. So in 1 Samuel chapter 1, we're going to see how our faith is always coupled with action. It's not just believing, but it's also doing. We'll see it here. We'll talk more about New Testament in a moment. Let's start chapter 1, verse 1. There was a man named Elkanah who lived in Ramah, in the region of Zaph in the hill country of Ephraim. Verse 2. Elkanah had two wives, Hannah and Penina. Panina had children. Hannah did not. Each year, Elkanah would travel to Shiloh to worship and sacrifice to the lords of heaven's armies at the tabernacle. The priests of the Lord at that time were the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas. Verse 4 goes on to say... On the days Elkanah presented his sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to Penina and each of their children. And, he, and though he loved Hannah, he would give her only one choice portion because the Lord had given her no children. Verse 6. So Penina would taunt Hannah. Make fun of her because the Lord had kept her from having children. Year after year was the same. Penina would taunt Hannah as he would go to the tab- tabernacle. Each time, Hannah would be reduced to tears and would not even eat. Sort of a dire situation, right? Elkanah brought his family every year to the tabernacle. Every we go in, we're going to sacrifice to God. We're going to have a meal together, a ceremonial, a ceremonial meal. And when we eat... He gave portions to both of his wives and their families. Now as we read, it looks like Hannah got the short end of the stick according to what the scripture says. But in studying it, she actually got a double portion. Which is probably why Penina was upset and would taunt Hannah. Because she's sitting there going, Hannah got a double portion. I guess my husband loves her more than me. Well, yeah, well, you have no kids. How do you feel about that? You know, there's taunting and taunting, reducing Hannah to tears. Nothing worse than seeing somebody else cry, right? Some of you are maybe sympathetic criers. You, you, You don't cry, but when you go to a wedding or a funeral or somewhere and you see that other person start to cry, then you're like, okay. But I'm okay until I see that person cry, then I'm history, right? You might be that way. And then you see Hannah being reduced to tears. Look at verse 8. Why are you crying, Hannah? Elkanah would ask this, why aren't you eating? Why be downhearted just because you have no children? You have me. That's better than having ten sons. Gentlemen, there's so much we can learn from the Bible on what to say and not to say or how to say it. This would be one of those moments. It's like, I can't believe you're crying. You don't have kids? You got me. That's better than 10 kids. And he's so lucky he didn't have his life ended at that moment. Right? Like, like many men, he was sort of insensitive and probably clueless to this whole situation. And uh, she really doesn't say much. Good for her. She continues to weep. And then she does what we all need to do. In her anger, maybe a little bit of bitterness and pain, she went to God in prayer. She went to God in prayer. What else can you do, right, in those moments? Look at verse 10. Hannah was in deep anguish, crying bitterly as she prayed to the Lord. She made this vow. O Lord of heaven's armies, if you'll look upon my sorrow and answer my prayer and give me a son... I'll give him back to you. He'll be yours for an entire lifetime. And as a sign that has been dedicated to the Lord, his hair will never be cut. I love how she starts her prayer. Oh, Lord of heaven's armies, I'm in a battle right now. And I need the commander to take the lead. Because the battle belongs to the Lord. Did we not sing that when we first started today? I want to to tell you, sometimes when you come to church on Sunday, the the first victory was when you stepped in this room. Because you might have had an argument on the way here, you had a bad week, it could be very easy just to sleep in. Um, I really don't want to go today, this is going on, that's going on. I really don't want to come, you sort of come in here a little begrudgingly, but you made it in, congratulations, that's a victory. Because the devil doesn't want you here. The devil doesn't want the church to gather. More and more that I talk to pastors and churches, even locally, senior pastors resigning, people leaving, and it's like, it is a sad thing. The people of God need to gather. The people of God need to worship together. You coming in here, victory. And the first song we sang was about the battle belonging to the Lord. And I was back in my office grabbing some stuff, and and the worship team, when they were here this morning, were going through the songs, and as they were singing that song, it's like, we're going to start church with that song. That's how Hannah started her moment of victory by getting on her knees. She knew the battle belonged to the Lord, so she went to the Lord of heaven's armies to pray. She made a vow to dedicate her son. She used the Nazarite vow I'm not cutting the hair, no alcohol, I'm not going to touch dead things, right? But here's the thing that family already belonged to the Levite clan. The Levites. We're already a people set apart for God from age 30 to 50. The men, you are dedicated to God. Hannah knew this. She already knew that if she had a son, if God answered her prayer and she had a kid and as a boy, she already knew he was going to be dedicated. But now she's like, I'm not just giving him when he gets 30 to 50, 20 years, I'm giving him everything, all of his life, to you, God. She's like, if you bless me, he's all yours. He's all yours. As she's praying, Eli, who's the priest that's on duty, is watching her. And he just sees her mouth going and and it's like, what? she's like looks like she's babbling. She's been drinking. He literally thought she was drunk. He confronted her and said, you know, what's going on here? And she told him, she goes, I'm discouraged. I'm in pain. And I was pouring out my heart to God. Eli then realized, like, Sorry, I misjudged you, right? He said, May the God of Israel grant your request that you have asked him. She was thankful. All of a sudden, she's feeling better. That's what happens when we pray, right? She goes home, she eats. Next thing you know, she's pregnant. She has a boy. We read in verse 24. Now, when he got to the age where he was weaned, which means he's probably between ages two and three, so parents, think of your two-year-old, your three-year-old, that you've been praying for to have. You finally got that child. They're now around three years old, basically uh, potty trained and all that. And it's now time to give that child to God. Verse 24 says this, Hannah took him to the tabernacle in Shiloh. They brought along a three-year-old bull for the sacrifice and a basket of flour and some wine, After sacrificing the bull, they brought the boy to Eli. Now this is an incredible moment. Remember when she was praying in anguish? Remember that moment? Picture that spot on the temple. She's standing in that same spot. She says, sir, do you remember me? I'm the very woman who who stood right here several years ago praying to the Lord. And I asked the Lord to give me this boy. He granted my request. He answered my prayer. Now I'm giving him to the Lord. And he'll belong to the Lord his whole life. And they worshipped the Lord right there. What a beautiful scene, right? God answers her prayer. Chapter 2 then begins with basically her prayer then back to God. A time of worship. Unscripted. Unrehearsed. It's just God, this is what I want to tell you. There's a little bit of, like, a little bit of, you know, not, I don't want to say vengeance, but uh, go get him, like, in that prayer. And then a lot of, God, you're awesome, in that prayer. And then as we read on, though, things turn dark. Isn't that the way the stories go? It's like, hey, great start. Introduce all the characters of the story. Life is good. But then comes the, dun, 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 you know, the, the bad part, the challenging part. We're introduced to the sort of the dark side of the story. And that it has to deal with Eli's two sons. Phineas and Ferb, just checking to see if anybody's paying attention. All right. So we got his two sons that step in. Some of you have no idea. that's a cartoon in good old days. Anyway, as we read on, verse 12, it says, "...the sons of Eli were scoundrels who had no respect for the Lord. They would lead people not to God, but actually they would interrupt their worship." People would bring in their sacrifices to God. They'd bring in their meat, and the, the, the portions that were supposed to be given to God, the fat portions were supposed to be the best. Give that to God first. And the Eli's sons were like, we'll take what portions we want, and if you don't like it, they threatened them. They were supposed to be the sons of the high priest. They were soon to be taking over the priestly duties and... And here they are keeping people from worshiping God. They were greedy. They were proud. And it even says that they led women worshipers into sexual immorality. Oh, we thought that sex scandals in the church was something of, of these days. No, it was then as well. And the thing is, God saw it all. Their greediness, their violence, their sexual immorality, he saw it all. And their father, the high priest, you know, you think about this, they're the next in line. I mean, just because dad is a man of God doesn't mean the kids are going to be men of God. They have to have their own faith. See, faith is not like genetics. It's not like, well, because I'm a Christian and I have faith, my kids are going to get that gene and, and have faith in God. It doesn't work that way. Parents. Just because you go to church and have faith doesn't mean your kids are going to have faith. You've probably heard those stories before. Well, just because you're sitting in McDonald's doesn't make you a Big Mac. And just because you sit in your garage doesn't make you a car. Sitting in church doesn't make you a Christian. Okay, use whichever example you want, but that is so true. Today, hundreds, thousands of people sit in their churches and they don't believe. But they thought, well, I'm here, right? There's more to it than that. The same with your kids. Parents, just because you have faith doesn't mean your kids do. Kids, just because your parents have faith doesn't mean you do. You've got to own it. Your faith is your faith, not your parents' faith. It's important to understand that. Each of us must come to a place in our lives where we surrender. I want to place my faith in God because it's my faith. It's what I believe. Look at verse 22. Verse 22 says, Eli was very old, but he was aware that his sons were, were doing, what, were this, what his sons were doing to the people of Israel. He knew, for instance, that his sons were seducing the young women who assisted at the entrance of the tabernacle. Eli said to them, I've been hearing reports from all the people about the wicked things you're doing. Why do you keep doing this? Why do you keep sinning? You need to stop, my sons. Okay, Eli knew all about this. As a dad, it's like, I know what you guys are doing. You guys really need to stop, okay? All right, dad, we will stop. Thank you, sons. We all know it doesn't work that way, right? I mean, it's like, parents, I know. We we believe that when we say something, you need to stop doing this. That our kids have this angelic thing that goes on like, I will stop doing it. And life is good, right? But we know it's like we turn around and walk away. It happens again, right? Eli doesn't really play the role of a very good father here. He's just like, just stop. Wiggles the finger. No, no, no. No, Applies no consequences whatsoever. He knows what they're doing is horrible, wrong. Are there any consequences? Boys, go to your side of the tabernacle and think about what you've done. Oh, they did, and they did it again, right? There needed to be some kind of consequence, some kind of punishment. But Eli was like, I'm not going to put that on them. And as a result, it continued. We quickly see then this big contrast Eli's sons and Samuel. If we look a couple of verses, verse 18, it says this But Samuel, though he was only a boy, he served the Lord. Verse 26, meanwhile, the boy Samuel grew taller and grew in favor with the Lord and with the people. It's sort of like, here's Samuel, way to go. He's growing in the Lord, he's serving the Lord. and over here are Eli's sons, and they are making big mistakes. And they're not serving the Lord. So one day, a man of God comes to Eli, gives him a warning. We have no idea who this man is. Some an anonymous man. All I know is that's what God does. God picks people. Sometimes we don't need to know who it is, but it's their message is what we need to hear. God rescued you from Egypt. God rescued you from slavery. God has rescued you. Serve him. Follow him. But because you haven't, there will be punishment. There will be punishment. Verse thirty one says this The time is coming when I will put an end to your family. So it will no longer serve as my priest. All the members of your family will die before their time. None will reach old age. And to prove that I've said what I've said will come true, I'll cause your two sons, Hophni and Finnis, to die on the same day. We just sang a song about the, I see the evidence. We see the evidence all through scripture, how God works. We know, I mean, that's part of our testimony as Christians. We can testify to what we've seen God do. Evidence is everywhere. And this man of God who we do not know says, here's going to be some evidence, by the way, that God is real, that he is true to his word. Your two sons are going to die on the same day. How odd would that be if that happens? And it happens. Situation has been out of control. You know, they're living, they're working at the temple, but the thing is, they're not following God. Again, just because you call yourself a Christian, just because you show up at church doesn't necessarily make you a Christian or a follower of Christ. Your actions, you can say one thing, but you can act like the devil. You can call yourself good. God doesn't want good. God wants holiness. So again... We're brought back to Samuel after looking at their two sons. Historians say that he's probably around age 12 at this time. So, chapter 3 in 1 Samuel, verse 1 says this Meanwhile, the boy Samuel served the Lord by assisting Eli. Now, in those days, messages from the Lord are very rare, visions were quite uncommon. One night, Eli, who was almost blind by now, had gone to bed. Suddenly, the Lord called out, Samuel. I need loyal here. Um, he, had that, he has that voice of God, right? That was that was what I would do with um, Colin, our youngest, when he was probably I don't know, Jenny was he like two or three. We had this little story book, and this was a favorite story because we get to this story, and I go, Samuel, Samuel, and he's like, hum. and it's always fun, right? We have no clue what God sounded like, but Samuel heard the voice of God. It was so cool. Think about this. He heard the inaudible voice of God. It wasn't like, oh, I wonder what that was. He responded. He's like, yes, yes. What is it? He didn't know who it was, but he knew he heard somebody talking. He heard the audible voice of God. Look at verse five. He got up and he ran to Eli. Here I am. Did you call me? I had to think about this. He got up and he ran. He got up and he ran. I need to back it up, sorry. I mean, how many of us in the middle of the night get up and run to our kids? I mean, parents, be real. It's like, mom or dad. And you're in bed and you're like, you go, right? But in this situation, it says he got up and he ran. Because I didn't call you, Eli said. Go back to bed. So he did. Verse 6 goes on to say, Then the Lord called out again, Samuel. And again, Samuel got up and went to Eli. Here I am. Did you call me? Because I didn't call you, my son, Eli said. Go back to bed. Verse seven. Samuel did not yet know the Lord because he'd not yet heard a message from the Lord before. Think about that. He didn't know his God. You know why? Because he hasn't heard God before. So the Lord called a third time. Once more, Samuel got up. He went to Eli. Here I am. Did you call me? Eli realized then, it's the Lord that's calling you. So he said to Samuel, go and lie back down again. And if somebody calls again, just say, speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. So Samuel went back to bed. I love this because God spoke to Samuel multiple times and he often does that in his word. He confirms things over and over like, did you read this? Did you read this? And he like, confirms things over and over again. And his commands can come to us in a variety of different ways, right? But how many times does God need something to point out to us over and over until we finally hear it? It took Samuel a few times, right? Until so he figured out this must be God talking and here's the thing, Samuel knew about God, but he never met God. Think about it. He grew up in the tabernacle. It could have been 10 years by now of him knowing every single thing about God and how to serve God, how to work for God, how to do everything in the tabernacle, right? But he never heard from God. I, that sounds like me. I grew up in a Christian home. Grandparents, both sides of the family, Christians. One grandfather, a pastor for six years. Mom and dad served in a church. Brothers served in the church. Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, missionary night, whatever night it was that the church was open, we were there. I mean, that's the way it worked. Bible's all over whatever room. I mean, we were a Christian family. At age seven, didn't matter. I had not surrendered my life to Christ yet. Didn't even know what that meant. And so my brother, who's over in his bed, I'm in my bed, and he goes, you're going to burn and go to hell. Never tell a seven-year-old that, okay, by the way. Not a good witnessing tool. But it worked. I mean, I got scared. I went to my mom and dad crying, and we prayed, and I asked Jesus into my heart at age seven. Remember that. But even though I was a Christian, I still really hadn't heard the voice of God. Eighth grade camp. There's something about camp that's incredible. Eighth grade camp, I'm at eighth grade camp, and God spoke to me. I didn't hear the audible voice. I didn't hear this, Rex. I didn't hear that, okay? But I, I, I heard like God speaking to me saying, Do you love me? I don't know. I love pizza. I love eating. I love my family. But what does it mean to love God? I can't see, touch, feel God. How do you love somebody you can't see, touch, feel? All that, that bothered me. And it was at camp. My camp counselor sat down with a crying little eighth grade boy, just disturbed that I didn't know how to love God. But I grew up in the church. And it was then I committed my life to Christ. It was then where I said, in everything I do, I'll do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. When that verse became real to me. For me, that was when I surrendered and started following God. I believe in this moment for Samuel is when he first started following God. Verse 10, it goes on to say, And the Lord came and called as before. Samuel. Samuel. And Samuel replied, Speak. Your servant is listening. We need to hear from God. You can hear me preach. You can hear your parents speak, your friends speak, your teachers speak, people on radio, television, podcasts. You can hear a lot of people speak. But the thing, that's, that's all fine. But if you do not hear the voice of eternity speaking to you, you don't hear God speaking through them, then what we have to say doesn't matter. You need to hear the voice of God. Verse 19 goes on to say, And Samuel grew up, the Lord was with him, and everything Samuel did proved to be reliable. He has this moment where he grows up. What does it mean? Let me go back to that first question. What does it mean to place your faith in God and surrender and to follow him? What does that mean? We should all be able to answer that question. And not just with our mouths, but by our actions. Because this is Samuel, his story. Again, you read through the Old Testament, we had prophets, we have stories, right? It's like, how do I follow God? And that's great, you know. But sometimes it seems like we have a hard time following God, like the sons of Eli had a hard time following God. It'd be so much easier if he was just right here and showed us, right? And praise God for the New Testament, because then we got Jesus that walks with his disciples and shows them. And you can picture their faces as they walked with them. and like, hey, come on, we're going to follow Jesus. This is awesome, right? But he ascended into heaven. He's not here anymore. He's preparing a place for us, a place that we get to one day be in his presence in heaven, which is going to be incredible. But until that day, Jesus said what? I'm going to give you my spirit, my word. You want to know what it means to surrender and follow me? you got to pick this up and listen to what I'm saying. I'll give you instructions. When I think about this, it begins with the simple phrase for each and every one of us. Here I am. Did you call me? Here I am, God. Your servant is listening. And... Look at how this happened. Basically, four quick things here. First of all, it was an abiding. Where did, where did Samuel live? He lived in the temple. He was, he was there at the church. He was in the presence of God. How often do we get in the presence of God? It is important for us to gather. It is important for us to be in with other people and, and learning about God. And more like Jesus said, I'm the vine, you're the branches, right? Apart from me, you can do nothing. We need to abide in Him. Or how about being alert and attentive? I mean, he went back to bed, but do you really think after Eli said, it's probably God talking to you? Why don't you you just go lay back down when he calls again? I'm sure Samuel's laying there going, it's God. God's going to call. Close my eyes, but I'm just going to wait for that voice to get right. He was alert. He was attentive. He's waiting for God to speak. And he was available. Go lay down. How many of us are running to and from this place, that place? A okay. bit too busy at times, so busy at times, God can't catch us. He's like, I, I, I want to talk to you, but you're not sitting in one place long enough. Sort of like Hannah, who came and was like, I'm coming here, and I'm just going to sit here and pray. Or sort of like Samuel, who went back to his bed and said, I'm just going to lay down and I'm going I'm to be right here. I'm available, God. And the last one is just that, that obedience, that, that humbling of himself. Your servant is listening. I believe when we we place ourselves in this kind of position and God speaks, we're able to say, here I am. Here I am. Your servant is listening. Listen, church, it's not about doing good things. It's important to do good things. That doesn't save us. And and it's not about church attendance. I know sometimes people are like, hey, I'm sorry I missed. I'm not going to be there. And it's like, okay, I'm not the church police. Thank you for telling me, and I, I probably will notice if you're not here. But it's not about church attendance. It's important to gather. We're commanded to gather. But that doesn't save us. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 says it's by God's grace. We get something that we do not deserve. That's what saved us. When we place our faith in Him, it's God's grace that saves us. It's a gift from God. Salvation, it's, it's not a reward for all the good things that we've done. Otherwise, we'd boast about it. We'd brag about Hey, look what I did. I'm saved because I did this. Nope. Verse 10 goes on to talk about how we're God's masterpiece. God's basically said, you are valued to me and I've got a purpose for you. i planned things out long ago. You've got a purpose. By God's grace, He gives us what we do not deserve. It's not the good things, it's a good God. It's rescued, it's being saved, it's being made new in Christ. I think about this, when the crowds would gather to see Jesus, they were so excited, right? Oh, he's going to do another miracle. He just did all this bread and fish, and he went across on his boat. We want more bread, we want more fish. And his his followers are there, his disciples are there, and they're sort of leaning in, and they're like, hey, we want you to be our king. We want you to share more of your miracles, more of your power. If we follow you, what do we, get, what do we have to do? You know what Jesus said to him? It's really simple. He said this. There's only one work that God wants from you. Believe in the one he sent. It's like, well, what do I have to do? What do I have to do? Believe. Believe. Jesus first and foremost commanded us, it's about believing. Then after you believe, then it's about doing faith, and action, they, they, they go together. They go together. Worship team, would you come up, please? I mean, what did they really know about Jesus? Yeah, did they know all about Jesus before they followed him? No. And sometimes that's the way it is with us. I don't know everything about God. Listen, I've been doing ministry for 30 years now, and I'm still learning. And I do know this He's the one I want to follow, and I'm still learning as I follow. One of the greatest joys I have in ministry is when I see somebody pray and then trust God and then do what he says. That's, that's one of the greatest joys for me. I see them praying. I see them surrendering. And then they don't just pray and surrender and that's it. They go out and they, they live it out. That's one of my greatest joys. Six years ago, we started a leadership camp for the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. I basically believe this six years ago. It's like, eventually it's going to come a time when we as adults cannot get into a school to help lead Bible studies and huddles and so forth. There's going to be a point in time when the government, the school, somebody's going to say, no, you can't come in anymore. And lo and behold, this past year with COVID, nobody outside the schools were allowed in. How do we go in and lead huddles? We have to rely upon our volunteers that are already in the school, adults or students, especially the students. Students have so many rights more rights than the teachers do. Our students have the right to pray, to share their faith. So our camp is all about how do you read the Bible? How do you pray? How do you share your faith? How do you start a huddle and, and lead a huddle in your school? How can you be a witness for Christ? And so for the past six years, we've, we've had incredible moments. And the last couple of years at camp, I tell you, I am moved when I see young people worship. When they fall on their knees and just pray. I'm even... <laughs> this is the kind of stuff that moves me. When, when I see them praying, when I see kids crying, when I see an offensive lineman, a junior in high school, bigger than me, crying for no reason at all, he says, I don't even know I'm crying, I just love God. It's like, because God's got a hold of you, man. There's a revival going on. When I see that, I am moved. But I'm even more impressed than when I see them leave camp and put it into action. When they gather with their teams and pray. When they get in large groups and pray. When they go one-on-one with one of their friends, maybe at a fast food place. Or they're sitting out in the parking lot of their school. Or out at the park, and they have these conversations. And they're like, they're just I said I called your name like I'm here what do you want me to do go talk to your friend go lead your team in prayer lead a huddle at your school that's what moves me that's what I get excited about how about you can you say God here I am send me what do you want me to do and when he tells you are you willing to do it I know there, there's, there's students in, in this room right now that have been at camp. God got a hold of them. God spoke to them and said, do this. And I, and I look at those students now and what they're doing, and I'm excited. But you know what? There's more. We're not done. I believe God's got so much in store, so many plans and purposes, not just for the kids, but for us adults as well. You didn't just call Samuel. A young boy, he's called adults as well. It's not about impressing anybody. It's not about impressing your friends, your family, your pastor. It's about hearing God and just doing what he says. Would you stand, please? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are an amazing God. I thank you, God, that you love us so much that you rescued us. And you've given us directions and sometimes it's so hard to know what to do. So God, help us to get quiet. Help us to be in a place where we can hear you. Help us to be attentive to listening for you, to be eager to hear. And then when you call, help us to be humble and obedient and just say, here I am. Your servant is listening. What do you want me to do? God, there are too many people today struggling with bad choices. Too many people rejecting you and too many with a destiny to hell. And you've called us to do something. God, help us be courageous. Help us to be bold. Help us just to be obedient. Here we are. Send us, God. Send us. We love you, Lord. We want to sing to you now, Lord. In thy name we pray. Amen.